Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Great conversation today with Hope Nicholson. You remember Hope. She's been on the show a few times. Uh, A great Canadian who has been uh, rediscovering the Canadian history of uh, Golden Age comics with uh, books like Brock Windsor and Nelvana. And uh, she is uh, on to talk about her third successful Kickstarter. And that is an amazing book of essays called The Secret Loves of Geek Girls. Hope edited the book. She got amazing collaborators on this thing. Uh, Man, Margaret Atwood. Uh, our pals Crystal Skillman, Jen Naprahamian, Marguerite Bennett, Jen Vaughn, just to name a few of uh, the uh, geek creators and uh, big, well-known uh, geek fans that are writing essays about, uh, you know, uh, looking for love in the, uh, the geek culture. And uh, honestly, I think it's a really great collection of essays, and I feel like I've learned a lot. And also, the great thing is, and we say this a lot in the uh, conversation as well, I think it makes readers feel like they're not alone and they're not weird. Uh, something that I think has really been going on in geek fandom, uh, not only with uh, the uh, increased attendance that's been going on at conventions, but really social media, all these different things of getting people together. And uh, I really think it's a great collection of essays, and I was very happy to hear that uh, Hope succeeded. She got her Kickstarter campaign going. In fact, uh, the book is available now through Amazon, uh, but also an updated version is coming in the fall with a big-time publisher and also added content. So uh, I'll let uh, Hope give you the details on all that. But it's a good opportunity to catch up with her and also just kind of get her vibe in terms of doing this kind of book versus... Uh, the comic book Kickstarters that she's done, and and what the whole experience has been like. Real nice conversation with Hope Nicholson today on Word Balloon. It's brought to you, as always, by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you for your continued support. Uh, Even in 2016, I thank you. And uh, we've got some cool conventions coming up that I'll be going to. And uh, I appreciate uh, the support because it makes it easier to get there, make the connections, and get some of the newer guests that we've been having on Word Balloon of late. So uh, it's not necessary to subscribe to Word Balloon via Patreon, as the League of Word Balloon listeners do. But if you want to join up and you can spare a dollar a month, you know, that's great. If you do more, fantastic. Truly, it's just making it easier to do this show. And I I really do appreciate all the support that I've been getting. If you want to help the cause, wordballoon.com. There is a Patreon ad right there on the front page. It will take you to videos and uh, links uh, to the Patreon page. And if you want to help out, that's fantastic. Thank you, as always, for your support. And as I always say, if you can't afford it, don't worry. Word Balloon's going to stay free. Uh, This just kind of helps pay the bills, update the equipment, and get me to the conventions to get more content each week right here at wordballoon.com. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com, our fine sponsor of many years. Great books at great prices. And don't forget, if your orders are $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping. They take care of those books right to your front door. And uh, they make it easy to get to $50 when you consider some of the collections uh, that they have on sale. Things like Valiant's Book of Death is 30% off, just $10.49. You can get Jason Aaron's uh, Thor Trade Paperback Volume 1, Goddess of Thunder, 50% off, just $9.99. Grayson Trade Paperback Volume 1, Agents of Spiral, is 50% off, $7.49. You can get the Golden Age Horror Collection called Horror by Heck, meaning Don Heck. Uh, The Great Avengers co-creator did a lot of great Golden Age uh, horror stories. And uh, there's a forward by uh, Kelly Jones. It's edited by Craig Yo. 30% off, it's just $17.49. You can get Green Arrow by Jeff Lemire. The deluxe hardcover edition is 45% off, $27.49. 
and 49 cents. Select image titles are up to 50% off. Select uh, DC titles and image titles, 45% off. More information on all that if you go to the website instocktrades.com. Okay, this was just recorded a couple days ago, uh, Sunday uh, afternoon. Glad to catch up with Hope. She's got uh, a couple uh, conventions coming up. Has a very interesting convention story that I'm very happy to share with you. Really disappointing, but i got to be honest, I'm kind of not surprised, given the organizers. And I'll let Hope tell you that story and more in our conversation. Hope Nicholson, now on Word Balloon. She's back. Uh, I always think of her as a Canadian comics historian, first and foremost, because that's how I met her. But uh, she's spreading out and uh, keeping us entertained in other areas of the geek world. It's Hope Nicholson. Welcome back, Hope. Hi, good to be back. Congratulations on the new book. I think it's uh, terrific. I was just telling you off the air that um, I really like it, and I think it achieves hopefully what you were what you were trying to do in terms of like letting people know you know you're not alone in terms of the way you feel about yourself and you feel about um, relationships. I was expecting more of a kind of a, uh, and there are some essays that are kind of like. I love Buffy and this is why, or I love, you know, Spock. I know there was the one I said, <laughs> the woman saying how much she, uh, you know, associated with Mr. Spock. But it was really great to read real relationship stories. And again, I think no matter what your sex or orientation is, I think uh, you, you will find, again, very relatable stories and go, God, it isn't me. And it's it's very kind of, I think, reassuring. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the uh, the point of the project is really instead of giving people advice or solutions is to provide stories from people who've been in similar situations and who've all chosen different ways and how it's kind of okay. No matter what solution you choose or how it goes, everything is different and kind of have to let go of some of the stress of, of dating and love and relationships. Yeah. And, and also uh, I, I love the fact that you've got a bunch of different uh, age demographics as well. It's not a bunch of just 20 something stories, but really, I mean, you know, you've got people like Trina Robbins, Jackie Estrada in there, Crystal Skillman. Um, so that's, that's really cool that, you know, the whole cross section I think is, is being represented here. And again, uh, not just straight stories, there are gay stories in there as well and transgender stories. So that's great. Yeah, there's there's a lot of diversity in the book, um, which is good. The I guess the most lack of diversity is the fact that a lot of the creators are from Toronto because it was originally kind of envisioned as, as a Toronto-specific story uh, book, but then it kind of expanded from there. But yeah, the age thing was really important for me. The youngest contributor in the book is uh, just 16 years old, and the oldest contributor is 76 years old. And there's people in a in a wide range. Most people do fall in between about 25 to 35. Um, mm-hmm. But there's definitely more than a few people who are over that age, too. And so, under. And that's yeah. great. And also, you know, well, in 25 to 35, that is that is kind of the meaty part of the age demographic in, uh, in comics and everything, as far as I think people who pursue the hobby and also have the time to do it. Yeah, the thing is, know. too... Um, being about how it's about love and dating relationships, you do need a little bit of, of time to kind of go through the process until you can get a handle on what your story is. And so I did have a, a few stories from young contributors. Well, just I think only just one who was under 25 um, to kind of showcase that kind of anxiety and the, the feeling of not knowing what's going to happen next. But for the most part, it was nice to have people who already have lived a few of their stories. 
Absolutely. And, uh, you know, two in particular, uh, Trina Robbins, who also provides your forward. Trina Robbins is so great because, and I know people who, who know her are going, yeah, no shit. But for those who don't, you know, such an important creator from that R. Crumb era of, you know, 60s and 70s independent comics. And every time she's at a panel, never afraid to speak her mind and in a really fun, entertaining way, but also just a lot of truth there. And I think it comes across as well. It's like, actually, her forward is great and gives, again, that same story of you're not the only one as far as even women, as I'm sure, you know, in earlier uh, decades had trouble, like kind of breaking through the geek boys club. And I'm sure that to a degree it still happens today. I do think it is easier. I see it, again, you know, represented in the attendance of of conventions and stuff like that. But back to Trina specifically, um, she is just, you know, her her little, you know, essay about her and and her guy Steve, Steve Lealoa from uh, Coloring, from from, uh, comics and everything. It is Lealoa, right? Am I saying it right? I don't know how to pronounce his name, sorry. I know Steve, <laughs> but I've, uh, I've, I've seen him in passing, but I know Trina much better than Steve. Okay. Well, I approached them, because, and I haven't done it yet, and I'm kicking myself, but I, I really want them both on Word Balloon and happened to see them at San Diego, just hanging out and chilling in, in the lobby. Couldn't have been sweeter, both of them. And I just love her essay about what she loves about Steve. And it was, it was terrific. And again, that's the kind of writer Trina is. But yeah, she and Jackie Estrada's, I think, stories were really great to read from, from the older generation. Yeah. Um, well, Jackie didn't write uh, anything in the book, but she did contribute an interview in Janet Hetherington's story. Yes. And uh, yeah, both of them have been in comics for a long time. Janet's been in the fandom world in Canada for quite some time as well. And was heavily involved in a lot of conventions up here. And uh, Margaret Atwood too was one of our one of our older um, contributors. Yes. And Roberta Gregory, who was absolutely amazing. I've just been pouring over a lot of her work lately uh, for some research work I'm doing, and she's just been so such a fantastically, consistently good writer and artist. Like through all these decades, it's, it's great. Tell me about getting Margaret Atwood. That's fantastic. And a great, wonderful uh, first story, right? Isn't that isn't that her at the yeah. at the very beginning? Yes, yeah. She drew the uh, the four comic strips for me, which was very nice. <laughs> of me. Um, really fantastic. So yeah, and it's again, it's stuff that's very universal. Like the biggest thing is, like, she's <laughs> seventy five years old, maybe seventy six now, and the story she's telling, you could easily have it set today. Like nothing's nothing's changed. Yep. Which is frustrating in so many ways, but. <laughs> I think no, we have this kind of cultural amnesia too, even in, in our own history, I know, where a lot of times we say things like it's it's better now than it's ever been before. And that's um I think a way of making ourselves feel better about ourselves, but it's also a way of kind of giving up fighting because it's not quite true. Like we're kind of going through the same struggles and it should be getting better, but it's really, really slow to change. I, I absolutely appreciate that. And honestly, I don't want to, because it's funny, this sounds like an, one of my conversations with Kelly Sudakonic. When I say it's getting better, you're absolutely right. More has to happen. But I can also say as someone that is a bit older, it is honestly getting better. It really, really is. And, and, I, and I mean that in the most gentle sandbox sort of or clubhouse sort of ways that I see as well as someone that's older, because you're absolutely right. Uh, Atwood's story could have been set, you know, um, I'm, I'm a couple decades younger than her, and it could have been set during my era. And like you said, it still could be set today. But 
I do think there are parents that are, you know, kind of correcting any sort of initial behavior like that from kids. And I also think kids are just like, oh, yeah, you like that, too. And I, I do think that when it comes to the fun stuff, that the, that the gender walls are slowly coming down. It absolutely isn't done. And I'm not saying call it a day, but I do think it is getting better. It, it's hard to say because in some ways it's gotten so much worse. Like when you see the gender divisions in toy stores and that wasn't a thing True. really that existed as much in the 70s. And even with the comics, you're seeing more and more women uh, reading comics nowadays so that we're finally getting to a point where it's getting similar to where it was at the beginning of comics. And so it's, it's not a straight line and it's not a straight down line. It's, sure. it's up and down. Things get better. Things get worse. And I think that's something that's really important to to realize. And also, I mean, if we keep saying it's it's better now than what it ever has been before, I think a lot of the work gets erased by a lot of these um, feminists who are really working hard, like Trina Robbins, like Roberta Gregory, like Margaret too, uh, because you think that just what's going on now is the most important thing. But it's really important for us to remember our history, I think. Absolutely. Oh, no, no question. And again... Yeah, there's still a lot more that needs to be done. And and who's to say? I mean, my God, we're, you know, we're, we're 50 plus years from the equal rights, you know, or the civil rights amendment. And uh, obviously, there's still a lot of racism problems in the world. And that's the thing. But I also do think it has it has gotten better in it. But again, the struggle doesn't end. I hope that someday it does. It'll probably be past our lifetimes, unfortunately, given the uh, inchworm-like movement of of. <laughs> Just the popular, you know, really just everyone in general and taking in all those people that are kind of still stuck in those things. As far as toys, though, though, I got to tell you, um, I, I guess a kid that was growing up in the 70s and stuff, I do remember there being a girls and boys toy section. Again, I think it's ridiculous. And oh, it's yeah, not, but it's, it was, and, there was know. still a lot less um, division between it. Like there was still like girls could play with builder type of toys. And now it's 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 kind of been discouraged since then. Um Cartoons on TV. There wasn't really girls and boys toys. There was just cartoons. And then in the eighties, you started doing, you know, oh, there's he, he man there, and there's She-Ra there. There's Care Bears and Rainbow Bright there, and there's Transformers and um, Thundercats over there. Well, but I have to gently disagree and point out that you know there was Barbie first, and then uh, somebody smart is like, can't we make something like this for boys? And you know, here comes GI Joe. You know, I mean, it's I, I do think that there were. Uh, that, you know, yeah, it, the, in fact, even, you know, again, uh, Disney going, well, we've got all the girls, you know, behind us, let's buy Marvel so we can have the boys. Uh, but I, and obviously that's a more modern uh, decision, but yeah, I, I really do. I really kind of think it, uh, gently disagree and say that, yeah, I don't know, man, I, I really think it's kind of always been there, but again, I think it's better. And certainly, yeah, things like building and stuff like that. Yeah. That that's absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, let's get, we'll get back to the book because truly it's cool. It's a great combination of it's mostly essays, but there are some comics in there, and they're great comics. Certainly, Margaret Atwood is a is a prime example. But uh, I'm assuming a couple of newcomers as well, or at least new to me. Uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of newcomers um, to the project. Some are new to comics, and some are new to writing in kind of this format. So there was a lot of people who I've met through my day to day life uh, at fangirl kind of events, socializing events through social media, who I wanted to give a chance to write a story for the book because I found their stories when they told them to me when we hung out to be really interesting, to show unique perspectives. And so I gave them the chance to showcase those stories. 
now I'm going to screw up her name, but it, Jen, Jen Apperhamian. Yeah. Uh, I know her well from Chicago and uh, I enjoyed her story. And that was the other interesting thing is too, that some people not only did traditional essays or traditional comics, but there's also some great graphic fun using uh, texting and, and social media and the kind of screens that we're, nor- you know, we're used to seeing on our phones and, and laptops versus just straight out prose. Oh, yeah. And that's really fun. And I think also, again, reflects where we are right now. Yeah, I mean, everyone was uh, able to do stories in whatever format they wanted to. And so there's two stories in particular that used um, screenshots or at least replications of screenshots from digital devices. Uh, Jen's story used smartphone type of notifications and Aaron Coaster's story uh, used um, kind of mid-90s messaging technology through Linux. Yes, that was a great story. story. Yeah. Yeah, Linux. Yeah, that was a tremendous story. Also, uh, too, uh, wasn't that Gita Jackson story kind of? Uh, or maybe I'm confusing it with the uh, story that uh, Aaron did about uh, Linux. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I am actually. Yeah, Gita Jackson's story was not about Linux. No. Okay. No. Well, yeah, and it wasn't specific. You know, I, I for whatever reason, I think because of the title, I thought that was also because its URL is uh, greater than IRL. Oh. And I thought that's. Yes. Very no, really great writing in here. Um, again, fun graphics and fun comics. Um, was it was it really easy to gather uh, a bunch of essays? Or I mean, is it wrangling cats? I know too. When you announce a project, sometimes it's really it's really hard to get everybody to get their essays in on time. Um, I mean, I took a firm line with the project because there are so many contributors, and because it was such a tight turnaround that if if the piece wasn't submitted on time, unfortunately, it wouldn't be in the project. And so that's, that's kind of what exactly what happened. And pretty much all, almost every single one of the announced people uh, on the project were able to fulfill it. And so that turned out really well. No, uh, everyone was actually pretty easy to deal with. I didn't have any really negative experiences. So that was great. That's cool. So this and this was a Kickstarter campaign and obviously a successful one. What um, how, how long did it take you to put this together? Uh, well, it's been in various stages of development for, as a book project for about a year, as a general kind of project for a few years. Um, but when I decided to finally do Kickstarter, it was about two weeks before the Kickstarter started. Okay. Pretty much. So I got some things together. The people that I talked to before, I firmed up their commitments. I reached out to a lot more people, got the ball rolling, and then just launched it. I didn't. Uh, I didn't go to your campaign to see what you were asking for and what you got. Do you mind telling us the numbers? Because I know a lot of people listen and, and are interested in terms of, you know, if they were to do a Kickstarter and stuff. And I like to always get into that kind of talk as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was looking for thirty-seven thousand dollars Canadian, and we reached one hundred twenty-two thousand dollars. That's fantastic! Congratulations. Thank That's you. wonderful. Man, that's great. I mean, and, and you know, um, did making the uh, reprint books of the Canadian comics that you've been doing um, prepare you? I mean, in, in terms of like, where has your confidence come from? And, and also, how, how much writing have you done that hasn't been geek related? How much writing have I done that's not been geek related? Um... Yeah, I mean, you know, or like, yeah, I, I guess so. Because, yeah, I'm just interested in... Um, Going from the ambition of, hey, I want to, you know, make these books, as I understand your story, and likely you were writing a long time before I was aware of your uh, 
work through, you know, bringing back a lot of Canadian comics historically and stuff. That's where I first heard of you. When did your writing stuff start? And, you know, what led, yeah, what led you to the geek stuff? Um, no, I've never really been a writer, to be honest. I, I've written out of necessity only, so the uh, research and introductions for Brock Windsor and Nelfan of the Northern Lights, uh, as well as the introduction for Moonshot, and a few research essays here and there, um, and the story that I wrote in Secret Loves Geek Girls, too. But no, I'm not a, not a formal writer by any means. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, and, and doing those, um, doing the, the books for uh, Nelvada and Brock Lesnar, you know, did they prepare you for, you know, and I'm sure I just called them the wrestler as opposed to the, <laughs> the character. <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. But did, did preparing that, sorry, but, but did, uh, did, did preparing those books, you know, prepare you to, you know, did that, that translate into making this book? Was it easier or were they different muscles? They were different although somewhat similar in both uh, Brock Windsor and Nelvana, I had pinups contributed by different artists to help raise attention to the project. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that um, was work kind of working with the artists, getting it in deadlines. Um, I didn't really provide much editorial guidance though on those. And so that was a bit different. Um, the editorial part was probably the biggest part I had to stretch in Secret Loves Key Girls. And for most of the comics, it was fine because uh, I kind of just trust what people's forms are. Um, although a few had to have changes as they went through. Um, the prose was, was a whole new ball game. So that was, that was definitely something new for me. Uh, but definitely with Kickstarter, with shipping, with fulfillment, uh, doing that for Brock Windsor and Nelvana definitely helped to prepare me for doing Secret Loves. Okay, but uh, even putting the book together itself... Um, I mean, this is very ambitious and, you know, I mean, everyone wants, you know, there are a lot of people that want to write their books and sometimes struggle in doing it. Um, shaping the narrative of each essay and stuff. I'm sure a lot of that, you know, there's a lot of thought behind that in terms of the flow of the book. Oh, absolutely. Um, especially because I want to make sure every piece was roughly equal in size so that we didn't have, you know, long novellas paired with uh, very short stories. And so they're all about sure. five pages or so in length, which definitely was a lot easier, I think, for the comic book writers than it was for the um, sci-fi writers, the ones who are used to writing in a much longer um, form. So there was a bit of adaptation there, a bit of going through, identifying the parts of essays and stories that were the key core, and kind of um, dialing a lot of the rest of it back, distilling it into its uh, essence. So that was, that was a bit of work. I've done research editing before for papers for my workplace that I used to work for. So it was a bit similar in that, in that capacity, but also a bit different. So I definitely had to make sure that I kept everyone's uh, unique style, their own writing style um, intact. Very cool. And about 260 or 65 pages of story, both comics and essay, um, in the book, it's, I know it's over 277 pages total, but you've got, you know, thanks to the Kickstarter people and, uh, you know, the usual, the usual kind of uh, book stuff at the front and the back of a book, which I certainly can appreciate and biographies as well of, of all the, of all the creators. Um, honestly, I, I think it's terrific. And I really do think, you know, uh, people will, will be happy to pick it up and, um, it's available right now as a digital book, but again, we were talking off the air, and I hear you've got a, a publishing partner now. 
Yeah, it's it's available as a physical book too. You can buy it off Amazon or a lot of local comic stores might have the self-published uh, version of it, which is running fairly low in stock. But Dark Horse actually picked up the book for a full run starting in October with a few new additions to the book as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's wonderful. Even uh, smart that there's even more content. And shame on me. Of course there is because likely – you know, that was part of the campaign was to obviously pay for the physical book. And I imagine some stores had incentives then to to buy in bulk and everything to help you out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Beguiling in Toronto has been a huge supporter of the project. And both them and their sister company, Page and Panel, have, have picked up so many books. They provided an amazing launch for us this year as well. But Happy Harbor in Edmonton and uh, Strange Adventures in Halifax were big supporters, too, in picking up books. And, and a bunch of U.S. companies as well, which... I have to give them credit because uh, shipping from Canada for bulk orders means that they're essentially making no profit on it whatsoever. And that, so that's definitely a lot of very appreciative that they picked the book up. Wow. Oh, that sucks. And I, I know I've heard those kind of Kickstarter nightmares about, you know, uh, shipping from country to country. That sucks. Um, because, yeah, I also know that uh, you had a great story in terms of uh, a potential convention appearance that you were planning on doing. And it got canceled, but again, you you turned uh, a lousy situation into another opportunity, and I was hoping you could tell that story. Yeah, so this month, one of the big things I've been doing is uh, traveling to different locations where there are a lot of artists and writers who are involved in the anthology and organizing launches. And so there's a lot of um, people in New York. So I went to New York and planned a launch there, and then also in L.A. and San Francisco. Uh, but there was Wizard World who was having a convention in Georgia, which I've never been to. I've never done any Wizard World conventions, and I've never been to Georgia. So my friend just moved here, so I wanted to get a chance to see him as well. So I thought, okay, well, that makes sense. I can go to New York, do fly from there to Georgia, do the convention, then fly from Georgia to San Francisco, and then to L.A., and then go back home to Winnipeg after all that. Unfortunately, after this was all booked, all my flights, all my books shipped to various locations, uh, I saw an article in a press release on Bleeding Cool about a new Portland convention. And in it, there was a one-line mention that Wizard World Atlanta was cancelled, which was a surprise to me, since I had not received any emails (laughs) about that. And I told Jack... And you were were registered there, and if I may, you were registered there as a guest, right? I was, yeah. So I double-checked my emails, my spam, my deleted information. I checked their Facebook accounts. I checked their Twitter. I checked their website. No mention. The only mention was this one little line thing. But their website page had been taken down. So I emailed them, and a few days later, they confirmed that it was not happening. So I was stuck because I couldn't exactly fly back to Winnipeg after New York and then fly from New York to L.A. It would be prohibitively expensive. And the books had already been shipped to Georgia. Sure. So had you had you purchased a ta- uh, table, by the way, or did they give you a table? No, no, I had purchased a table. I hope you got at the very least. I hope you got that money back. I hope so too. <laughs> oh, is that still uh, uh, up in the air? Um, if they have shipped me a check, it may be waiting for me in Winnipeg. I don't know. Okay. So wow, we'll see. They've wow. offered me We're- tables at other conventions if I'd like, but. I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that right now. I understand. I completely understand. I don't think they've shown much uh, help in terms of alerting you, and well, I'm sorry to hear that. In terms of travel, too, it's, it's awfully expensive yeah. to fly from Winnipeg 
anywhere um, and then putting up costs too. So you'd have to, I'd have to sell all my stock basically in order to break even. So there's not much point in going to many conventions unless there's another purpose. Either there's friends I want to see in the area or there's people I want to meet, businesses I want to chat to. So. Well, and you know, the good, the, uh, you can certainly appreciate because uh, wizard is struggling as much as any independent uh, published, uh, you know, creator right now, uh, and certainly isn't a big company that uh, has a lot of shows across the country, and obviously has the capital to uh, front uh, celebrities to do autograph signings. Here's my opportunity to punch at Wizard. Uh, I, I, that's really disappointing, and unfortunately, it's not the first disappointing story I've heard about the Wizard organization. I'm sure it's not going to be the last. I've, I've heard um, stories from them before, um, which is why I was just trying one convention from them to see how it went, and so seeing how this was my first experience with them and this is what happened, it it definitely uh, wouldn't make me want to do another convention of theirs, that's that's for sure. I'm sure that they're, you know, it's not a big loss for them that I, oh, I'm, sure. I'm not doing another convention, but for me, it's just, all right, there's other conventions I want to go to. They have a lot of conventions. I have no idea what the experience would be like at one of their conventions and I don't really need to find out. So. I, I think I think as long as Norman Reedus has some free weekend, there will, you can guarantee there will still be a wizard convention somewhere uh, in North America, at the very least. I don't know how they do internationally, beyond our two countries. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I don't think they have any you? presence in Canada anymore. I know they had tried and it didn't work out. Oh really? I didn't. I didn't realize that. Well, there you go. All right. So they are just stuck to uh, the the. I, I think even just the forty eight. I mean, I don't think there's Wizard World Alaska, and I don't think there's Wizard World Hawaii. So at least not yet. Yeah. God. Um. Where? So I guess you're not in Winnipeg. Uh. You're, you're traveling now. Are you in New York? Where are you guys at? If you don't mind. Right now, I'm I'm in Georgia. I had to keep my travel plans as planned, and so uh, instead of going to the convention because I had the books all here still. I decided to reach out to some local comic book shops, uh, which I did. My friend Stephanie Cook uh, reached out to some artists in Georgia who recommended Dr. Nose and also Criminal Records. And so I did little events at both of those places, which were very well attended, especially for a last-minute event. And uh, I, was, I was very pleased with that. That's excellent. And I know Stephanie's represented in the book as well. And I know she had a tough year. Yeah. Uh, either, either this year or last year, or 2015 or 14. So I'm glad she seems to be doing well. Yeah, she's she's very well connected to, to so many. And she, she's a lovely person, good friend of mine. And uh, yeah, she's had a year from hell. So. Yeah. Yeah. Ish. Well, that's great, though, that you were able to, you know, at least switch gears and, and, and be able to do that. Well, smart. And obviously, do, especially if you're a small press publisher that you have to be used to changing things on the fly. What do you do if someone doesn't submit their works or they decide they don't want to be an anthology last second? Uh, what happens if shipping prices go up? There's, there's so many things that change so quickly that you have to be able to adapt. And this was unfortunate, but you know, within a few hours I went from being angry to kind of getting my shit together and making other arrangements. That's just what has to happen. Understood. And how, you know, I mean, obviously, as, as someone that is creating content and, and putting it out there in the direct market, how are you observing uh, the Canadian market and the North America, or rather, and the, the U.S. market? Uh, I know there's, there is a difference, but how are things going in both markets for you and your products? Um, strangely, pretty steady. I'm always expecting my next Kickstarter to fail. <laughs> and so far, it hasn't. But I think that's just 
because I, I've been lucky enough to be able to work with some really great people and uh, I've got some projects that have really spoken to people, but I always expect that one of them won't be the public's interest and then I'll have to adapt from that. But so far it's been good. All my runs of everything self-published have sold out. Um, so Nelvana sold out the self-published run. Brock Windsor sold out the self-published run. I have maybe a few hundred copies of Secret Love Speak Girls left and then that'll be sold out. And I know Moonshot, which I edited, sold out of its first print run as well. So in terms of that, I keep the print runs fairly small, so I wouldn't get too excited. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping it can be self-sustaining. It's, it's really my first year making this my full-time job. So we're going to see how that goes. But I'm, I'm pretty excited to dive into it. And do you have many other projects, you know, that you're thinking about that you, you know, I mean, because, man, you're a machine. I didn't know about in, in the best possible way. I say that. Uh, but no, uh, like, um, do you have other projects, in the, you know, that you're thinking about, obviously? Yeah, my next project is Fashion in Action. That'll be Kickstarter funded in uh, starting on March 1st. So hopefully that gets funded as well. And that's a 1980s reprint because as I say, there's there's a lot of interesting things that have been published in the last few decades that have been lost. And it's not just material from the 1940s, it's material even within the last few decades. Um, so I'm reprinting that and the original creator, John K. Snyder III, is actually re-restoring all of the pages as well. And we're kind of raising a bit of attention to the importance of fashion in comics during the campaign. So we're going to have pinups from different uh, artists who love to incorporate fashion into their work to help promote it. Wow, that's fantastic. And yeah, there's a project of his I never had heard of. And that's what it was called, Fashion in Action? Yeah, in action. yeah it was. Uh, it had two summer specials. It was by Eclipse in the 1980s and was also a backup feature in the comic called Scout. Sure. Oh, of course. Tim Truman, absolutely. Yep. Crazy. Man. And I know you're like combing through uh, the, the, I'm assuming, the Eclipse catalog or whatever because uh, you were mentioning too that um, you had been reading uh, Ms. Tree. Oh yes, I, next, I've read all of Ms. Tree now. Yeah. Next Collins and uh, Terry Beatty, and I'm a I'm a huge fan. That's... I have to tell you off the bat. So I am interested in what what is your your view on uh, on Ms. Tree? It is a complicated work. Um, I I'm glad it exists for sure. The artwork's great. I love that. She's kind of like the Punisher. So if yes. you don't really like uh, vigilantes taking justice in their own hands and you know, um, rowing down rows of people with machine guns, then you probably won't like Ms. Tree. But it also touches on a lot of social issues. I wouldn't... They're not consistently either liberal or conservative. It looks like they're... They like to play devil's advocate a bit. Like, uh, they tell stories that have, have both sides. And I'm not sure how I really feel about that, but maybe that's just my personal opinion. So it kind of threw me off a bit, some of the issues, but... Uh, yeah, it was uh, definitely an interesting book. I liked it, but I don't know, yeah, how much of it I could keep reading. Interesting. Well, you know, I have you thought about, you know, Max Collins is the writer. Have you thought about, I mean, are you, is he someone that you would like to sit down and talk to? Or are you kind of, you know, like, yeah, that was all right. Uh, I'm going to move on now. Uh, no, I mean, I, I'm doing research on a lot of different content. So I am trying to reach out to the creator's as much as possible in order to get permission if I need to reprint any of the original visual artwork or in order to get a bit more information on the comic books themselves. So yeah, definitely. I'm sure we'll chat at some point. Well, that's right. And I forget. And are, is it public that, you know, I know you kind of put the call out 
for women heroes that have, may have slipped through the cracks that, you know, we have forgotten about. And I, and I was even like trying to help you out and think of, you know, things. And I think everything I thought of was obvious and that's why I probably didn't even post anything. Um, uh, yeah, well, it's not a, I guess the project that that's involved in is not yet public, but it is a project. I've been working on it very steadily. We can, we don't have to talk a about lot it of really interesting it. female characters. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was oh. going to say, if you don't want to talk, like I can cut this if you don't want to talk about this. Oh, I mean, I'm fine to talk about the research part of it. Okay, so I don't mind. Well, then, then start again because I like I, I I wanted to stop you and say, hey, like if, <laughs> you know, if you if you'd rather not, it's totally cool. You know, editing is our friend. Sure. So. Um, well, I can just say like this: I've been researching a lot of female characters throughout history in the last uh, few months, and there's been a lot of very interesting finds I've discovered that have fallen through the cracks for me. And I've thought I was a pretty decent historian, and the more I'm digging up, the more I'm discovering there's there's so much more. No, and it's it's very frustrating too in some ways. I'll I feel like I'll never know the full history of female characters in comics, but there's a lot of interesting things that, like Cindy Shade, which was created by Peter Milligan in the 1980s, was an amazing punk rock character. But after three issues, just faded away. So there's a lot of really cool finds like that that I've been digging up. Although that one was actually sent to me by um, Molly uh, Molly Jane. I can't remember her last Oh, sure. Molly Jane Kramer from uh, from Chicago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know Molly very well. Absolutely. Very so she cool. She posted a picture of this character, and I was in the midst of doing my research on Ms. Tree at the time, and I saw it was an Eclipse book. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And so I tracked down the issues, and I read them, and it just blew my mind. And then I had a nice little chat with uh, with Peter about the character as well and got his thoughts. So that was that was really fun. That's terrific. And yeah, I, I would I would love to see you talk to Max about about Ms. Tree, because, again, you know, maybe I've got you know, and again, not without it, without impressing uh, imp, uh, or, or uh, imprinting any uh, incorrect uh, notions on whatever, you know, things you found interesting or objected to or whatever. But I just yeah, I mean, I, I would be. I don't know if I've got the white guy blinders on in terms of the way I enjoyed mystery, but I really did. I thought it was terrific. You make the Punisher comparison. I uh, I know, and again uh, from interviewing Max, and he's yeah, it's been a long time since he's been on, but uh, in his mind, uh, mystery was really Velma, the uh, the character from the Mike Hammer novels. Oh yeah, who was his you know his girl Friday, but also very tough and capable. And basically what would have happened if, you know, Mike Hammer died and Velma had to take over the business. Yeah, I mean, those references are made um, throughout the book as well. There's a lot of Mike Hammer references. I, I'm not quite as up on my pulp and my noir as I probably should be. So a lot of them kind of fell on deaf ears. But Well, and that stuff is incredibly of its time. And I'm sure a lot of, you know, and I'm sure would be viewed incredibly misogynistic. And I can appreciate all of that because it was. I mean, you know, that's funny. um, I can't remember if it was Dark Horse or whomever uh, just reprinted Canon from, um, and now I'm blanking, the uh, Wally Wood. And Canon is incredibly misogynistic. And it really is like James Bond times 10 in terms of being, you know, this degrading kind of misogynist that James Bond is and stuff. Oh, there's there's but. been some awful things that I've been reading. The, the history of female characters in comics hasn't always been very good. And it's more to acknowledge that. And that's in every single de- decade. I mean, you have the bad girls of the 90s. You have, like, the, the all the sexual assault type of comics of the underground scene in the yeah, 60s. Yeah. 
And then, of course, oh, you have yeah. the romance comics in the 50s and the 60s who tell women to just be quiet if they want to land a husband. So, Wow. I, you know, I've never – have you read any Simon and Kirby romance stuff? Yeah, I have. Uh, some is actually quite good. I was reading um, My Date, which was actually really, really funny and definitely stood out from the others in terms of quality. And it had a really good sense of humor, but the women also had like a lot of their own identity and they each were very different characters. So that was good. But then That's I was cool. also reading a lot of DC's um, true romance, true love stories, or sorry, young romance and young love stories, which were pretty much the worst that I've, I've read so far. And was that DC or EC? DC. Yeah. Uh, they took over from Prize Comics, which was the original publisher of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And how much do you know about like a Dorothy Wolfork, uh, Wolfork or whatever, however you say her name, the DC editor that I guess worked, you know, from the 40s really through the 70s? Yeah, I was reading a bit about her the other day. There was a interview in a comic magazine I was reading uh, that was discussing her history. And it was really interesting. I found that, you know, she was this editor who was very capable, who got things done, who had some really great ideas. And the men decided to kind of make fun of her, call her Dottie say that she was like flighty even though you know she did all of her work on time it seems so it was kind of upsetting to see that kind of misogyny when there's so few women in the industry as it is and seeing them treated that way kind of makes me uh pissed off no i understand that i saw a great panel in uh san diego and uh, ramona Freden was on it and really was the trina was on it as well but ramona really represented it, it being a bit older uh, and also in, you know, already at national DC, you know, from the early fifties really gave a, a, a genuine perspective of, of someone that, you know, had to go to the bullpen occasionally. She said mostly she worked at home and dropped off her work, but yeah, she said the times that she did have to work, uh, at the offices in the studio and stuff, it was uncomfortable Oh and, yeah, yeah to, to say the least. So yeah, you know, it's still often a boys club at a lot of those, whether it's at the publisher level or at the artist level. So it's, um, absolutely no, no, it's, definitely I'm surprised why there's so many women in comics who decide to do things on their own. But that is, I'm really glad you said that because that is the great thing is for their fuck ups and, and ignorance and ignoring people. Uh, the great thing is I do believe in this environment. You can step out, do your own thing. You're doing it. A lot of other creators are doing it. I think that's wonderful. And also, obviously, it's necessary. But the great thing is there is an audience. And, hey, if they want to leave money on the table, well, fuck them. You know, you pick up the money. That's cool. It's even better. Yeah, I mean, it'd be, it'd be great if I actually was picking up that money. Uh, but with small press, all of your money goes right back into the printing and the publishing, unfortunately, because there's it's not like you have a whole staff on board and everyone does one dedicated function. So, a lot of people look at that Kickstarter and they say, oh, $120,000, that's amazing. It's like, well, first of all, 10% of that goes back to Kickstarter. And after that, after printing a small run, which, you know, increases the price because it's not a large quantity. And I print locally. I don't print overseas. So that increases it. Shipping from Canada and then paying the contributors a fair wage. Um, you don't have any money at the end. Okay. Have you talked to other self-publishers and, uh, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm sure on a regular basis because it is interesting to hear the varying degrees of, no, actually everything's uh, – like not everything's okay, but no, you know, I've kind of figured out how to do this and, and do it at the right print run where I am still making a profit. And again, not, not uh, certainly not 
representing the six figures that you got from your campaign that you're walking away with, you know, 99% of that money. Of course not. But you know what I'm saying in terms of like, have you found other creators and are you, as you're going, learning, all right, on this project, I'll do this and save more money and therefore get a bit more profit? Oh, yeah, yeah. We definitely talk. I think a lot of people do much larger runs than I do as well. And that helps in the long term. Uh, for me, especially because I've been living kind of in, in very tiny apartments and the like, um, except for now <laughs> I, I've moved back home, which is lovely. Uh, and so I have a lot more room, but I've always been very cautious about printing too much of what if I have these books for the next 20 years? Like that was a sure. horror story for me. Absolutely. Like I've Absolutely. seen these people who are publishers in the eighties who have their garage still full of unsold books. And, you know, I'd rather um, be careful and cautious now than risk that happening but yeah i can only hope that it's it's gonna get better i'm definitely increasing my the amount of books i'm doing at once this year and i do have hopes that i'll be you know financially self-sufficient from it soon yeah i hope so man because seriously you you're you're doing great projects and I, I honestly, I, and I'm glad to hear that there's an audience and that, you know, your print runs are going, you know, you're, you're wrapping them up. I, would you consider going back to print for, um, uh, you know, uh, Brock Windsor or uh, Nelvana? Yeah, it's definitely possible. Um, I want to do a few more 1940s reprints and I was thinking of maybe a nice box set for the collectors. Uh, cool. You know, rebranding them all in one consistent style because right now they've, they've all look different. All my books are different sizes, different formats, different designs. So I would kind of like to get a house style down as well. Sure. Excellent. Very, very cool. No, honestly, I'm, I'm, I, I, I give you a lot of credit because you're, you're putting out good stuff and you're, you're, you're pursuing these projects and you're making them realities. And yeah, I, and I, I, mean, want... I don't want anyone to think that I know exactly what I'm doing. The fact is I've only been a publisher for two years like there's so much more to know and i'm kind of just jumping in these huge leaps and learning as i go and it's very exciting but it's also really good to talk about to talk about how there's still things to learn still things to improve on uh things that i know now that i didn't know a few years ago and things that hopefully i will know soon so well also addressing that um adjunct product area of geek culture because it's one thing when it's a film or a television show or a book and it's a story but as we get into comic criticism or even your book of essays now that is a different product and i think there's absolutely an audience for it and i think it's kind of a new thing that we're all trying to figure out okay you know clearly people want more information beyond just reading the story oh, and i and yeah. i think you know you're addressing that with these products yeah, absolutely. I hope to continue doing that, too. It's kind of like um, comics adjacent. I still want to do yes. some story-driven comic, uh, comics, but it's really important for me, too, to kind of tell things from the fandom perspective. I think a lot of times, especially as you get more into the creative business, you kind of start to forget what being a fan is like in a lot of ways. But I think it's a really important thing to keep in mind what the experience is, and hopefully through writing these books, you kind of remind even creators what it's like to just be a regular fan. I can appreciate that. Do you think the convention, I know, I know there've been problems with incidents at conventions, but I do think overall that convention environment is showing again, what we were talking about at the very beginning. It's not just me. There are other people that like this stuff. And 
uh, in your book and in the essays, a lot of people talk about uh, relationships that they they started it by meeting someone at a convention, uh, both romantic ones and obviously friend ones as well. And I do think that um, with all the problems, and it's been a bumpy road, I do think – again, I don't mean to sound like a Pollyanna, but I, I do think that uh, it's been great. And I think honestly like – again, I think fan – acceptance and finding others like you it's it's at a point that i don't think it's ever been at before and i think the attendance approves approves that i think definitely there's more of a sense of community of of openness of sharing that's what i was trying to say yeah than it's ever been before (laughs) and a lot of that is due to thanks to social media too the fact that you can kind of connect with these people before you ever see them in person because you might go to a convention having never talked to anyone before and just get completely tongue-tied but having already talked to a group of people, even friends or creators, gives you a bit more of a sense of confidence, I think. And I think that's really what's bringing about this kind of connection between fans, between creators. And it's 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 being a very good thing, I think, because a lot of these people could use some social interaction, me included. I, I tend to go a bit dotty if I don't uh, talk to people on a regular basis. I understand. Well, and also... Um... Again, I think that they're comfortable talking about this stuff uh, and, and being like, all right, so I'm not the only person here that likes Dungeons and Dragons uh, in, my, in, my, in my office or in my school or whatever. And it's like, oh, no, that's great. They do speak my language. They do understand. Oh, yeah. You know. And if you're in an area where either in your work or your hometown where there's no one who likes the same things as you, you no longer have to feel super weird or uncomfortable to talk about it because you know exactly. that there's millions of people who do. No question. Well, and the other thing, too, is I'm glad to see because I think a book like yours, a lot of these things can be covered on a website and probably possibly were. I don't even know if everything you did, you got was, you know, made specifically for your project or some people like, hey, you know, I actually wrote this on a website a couple years ago and it would fit or even a couple months ago or something like that. Uh, All the content was new except for the webcomic reprints in the middle. Okay. Okay. But yeah, that that there that there's an audience that's still willing to purchase this because of all the free content online. Yeah, I mean, people still like books. That doesn't go down. Uh, print book sales, especially with graphic novels, have been doing quite well. Well, that's true. Uh, graphic novels, I think, were proven to be the most um, sustainable genre for print books over the last few years, with other genres going down in sales popularity, but. Graphic novels are still doing pretty good. And this book is at least half of a comic book collection. On something like this, would you have considered just doing an ebook versus a print run if the Kickstarter hadn't worked? No. No, I wouldn't have. Um, I probably just wouldn't have done the project, I guess. Or I would have reached out to a print publisher. I really do believe that this type of book that you want to carry around, that you want to see, that you kind of want to take to the bath or take to the beach. So. Okay, because, yeah, that's the other thing that I keep asking uh, people that write uh, prose versus comics. Because I do think comics being the visual medium, too, you know, it's the difference between art that you have as your screensaver versus art you're hanging on the wall, you know? Oh. So I get it for comics, but I think for prose, I'm always interested in, yeah, like, I, and I know that, you know, what are, are there other things about ebooks in particular that are ebooks alone that you, you know? don't like or you're aware of from even a business standpoint? Well, it's definitely a lot easier to flip to whatever pages you want to. I, I find that kind of mobility 
in print books to be a very valuable thing. Uh, with comics, if you have a digital version, sure, you can like look at the bookmark section or maybe you can find um, a find function on it. But it doesn't have that kind of same immediacy, I think. But um, for digital, I mean, if I did only digital, I would probably be quite profitable because there really is no print cost. You just have to make sure you pay your creators. Right. So, but it is maybe a bit um, of a silly idea to do print books still, but I just... Oh, I don't think so at all. Yeah, but no, I really don't think so at all. And I mean, again, you know, the comic people, certainly it makes sense. But even physical books, yeah, of course. Um, And I think, too... You know, you can print a, do a print run, obviously, and then you've it's a pain in the ass, and obviously you're doing it right now as you're shipping your books to the various cities you're going to be in. But you know, yeah, when you've got your table and you've got a stack of books, sure. I mean, it's an easy, it's a better way to offset your your public appearance fees by being able to actually physically sell the books at the stores and that, or at the at the conventions. Yeah, if you do digital only work, there's really not much for you to do at a convention or to do with official stores. <laughs> like you'll still be profitable, but you won't have as wide of a reach. That. Absolutely, for sure. Understood. No, very cool. No, I, I honestly, I, so the book, when did the book come out? December. A couple weeks ago? Yeah, December. Oh, it was in December. Excuse yeah. me. Okay. So that's cool. And um, and yeah, so right now you can get it through, what are, what are the easiest ways to get the book? Amazon.com probably, or Amazon.ca if you're Canadian. Okay, very cool. And then, um, like you said, uh, Dark Horse is going to have a, a new edition of the book coming out uh, in the fall. Yes, they will. It'll have a new cover by Noelle Stevenson, and it'll feature a foreword by Kelly Sue DeConnick, as well as a new story by Marjorie Liu, and a new story by Carla Speed McNeil. And I believe Colleen Doran is doing something for it as well, but I have to double-check on that. Wow! Nice going! Holy shit! Yeah, a lot of that's <laughs> due to my editor at Dark Horse, Daniel Chabon, who's been absolutely amazing to work with on both this and the Angel Catbird project. Oh, tell me about that project. Uh, oh, well, that's actually how me and Margaret Atwood met. She messaged me on Twitter saying she wanted to help uh, developing a comic book series about a guy who turned into a cat and a bird. So we <laughs> met up for coffee. We talked about it. First, we considered doing a Kickstarter, but she really wanted to be as widely accessible as possible. And I said, well, we need to go with a traditional publisher then. So we went with Dark Horse. Uh, she's doing with uh, Johnny Christmas, who I connected to her too, and I believe the colorist is Tamara Von Villain. Yeah, I did get the press release on that. If, and when you said Angel the Catbird, I'm like, wait a minute, I've heard about that. And then I'm like, oh, yes, yes, of course. No, that's cool. Yeah, and actually, if you, uh, I can't remember. I heard a radio interview with her recently. And actually, I believe it was uh, or, uh, American Public Radio, not uh, the CBC. But... Um, I can't remember if she talked about her graphic novel or not. I'm um, not sure. Probably not. If it was if it was fairly new, probably not, because uh, we just announced it in December publicly. Yeah, but I believe it was December that I heard the interview, and I and I, I know it was after the press release had come out. Okay, so maybe regardless. Yeah, regardless, it was cool. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it's a really was, fun project. She's amazing, and it's 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 really good. We're doing it with partnership with. Um, Nature Canada as well. So the idea behind it is not only is it a really fun superhero story, but the idea is it to give also a few practical advice tips on how to make sure that your cat stays safe, as well as the birds in your neighborhood. So <laughs> that's cool. Without it is, being an educational comic. Uh, yeah, of course. Is uh, and I'm sorry. What's your capacity in this project? I'm a consulting editor on it. That's really great. Yeah. Wow. 
nice going just means that I, I put everyone together and I kind of serve as like a third eye during the uh, production process. Cool. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's been it's been really fun, and it's definitely very different working with a larger publisher than it is when I'm doing self-published projects. But yeah, I'm very excited to see where it goes. Do you have events in Atlanta this week, or are you? Uh, or have they finished? Uh, they just finished. I did an event at Doctor Nose and Criminal Records this week, and then I'm going to San Francisco on Tuesday for a launch at the Booksmith. And then LA the next day for launch at Meltdown Comics. That's great. So people might still have time if they download early to uh, catch again in, in San Francisco when you said LA as well? Yes. We're doing invented uh, Meltdown Comics on Wednesday. Excellent. Fantastic. You can have uh, any of the creators on stage with you? Yeah, both in San Francisco and in LA in San Francisco. Trina Robbins, Jen Abrahamian, and Mariko Tamaki are coming out. And in LA, Marguerite Bennett, Irene Ko, Soha Kareem, Adrian Crest, me, and... Uh, maybe a surprise guest will be coming. Are you recording any of these? I don't think so. Oh, you should. <laughs> hey, man, I'll, I'll even make the offer and you can decline. But if you if you record the audio and you want a place to put them, I'd be happy to play them here on Word Balloon. Sure. I don't even know if we're doing a presentation or if we're just kind of mingling and chatting to people. But we'll see. Okay. Because, yeah, if you, do, if you do any sort of – and especially a meltdown where they've got the stage, I didn't know if you were going to actually – you know, do a, like a live presentation beyond the signings. Um, so. I don't think so. We did that in New York and it was kind of fun, but I don't think there's plans to do that in LA and San Francisco. Okay. So we'll kind okay. of play it by ear. I'm sure no any problem. one of us can talk about our love lives on cue if we need to. <laughs> well, and I imagine you'd also broaden it out to, you know, women getting into comics and just, you know, everything we just talked about, you know, as far as uh, in the last hour. Yeah, absolutely. But there's also this weird situation where people think that women talk about love and sex and dating too much. I mean, that's what kind of the Bechdel test is about. Um, the fact that women in comics or, and TV shows, movies and everything often only talk about the men in their lives they're romantically involved in. And I get that, which is why the focus of the book was us talking to each other about our romances instead of talking to our partners or about our partners. <laughs> so it, it is a different thing because the tone of it is completely different when you're talking to each other and giving advice and supporting each other rather than just focusing on your romantic partner themselves so I hope well, that came across in the book but I'm not sure it did well I, I think it did I think it did, and, I, and as I was going to say, as a, as a petulant little brother, I'll just tell you bad news. I heard everything you girls just said, and I'm telling everyone on the schoolyard tomorrow. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> no, but the thing is, like, our book, I, I heard from a few people that they were worried that Secret Loves Geek Girls was going to be a diss book about the male geeks in the industry. And it was really a surprise to me and an unwelcome one because I never considered that at all because the book isn't about them at all. It's it's about no. us. <laughs> Absolutely so. not. No. No, I'm teasing you, obviously. But yeah, no, I'm glad you did point that out. Because again, yeah, I, I think, I really do think that a male audience would find this as, it, or maybe not as interesting, but would find something from this as a women's audience would as well. Yeah, I've had a few guys who've read the book who've talked about it to me. The, the most interesting thing I found is that a lot of the guys did feel alienated by all the talk about fan fiction. And I realized that fan fiction really isn't nearly as a big thing in male fandom as it is in female fandom. I guess. You know, I'm always fascinated when um, 
I forget which convention, just a year or two ago, when they started performing fan fiction. Oh, as, yeah. You know, I'm and very and, and people got really offended by that. Yeah. Because, and it's I like mean, people put it all their time and work in that. And yeah, usually they're young writers and their writing skills aren't the best. And they're kind of working out fantasies by putting it on page. So for people to stand up in front of other people and kind of make fun of them, it's, it's awful to me. It's so, so disgusting, in my opinion. I completely understand that. But by the same token, then someone goes, yeah, but you put it online. And, and it's sometimes it does. This is a younger, and I'm saying this is someone slightly older, but this to me fascinates me about the younger generation when they get upset about something like that and you've put it online. I mean, it's one thing to write, you know, a <laughs> fanfic truly that you're keeping in your notebook and then you're putting it out there. And don't get me wrong, nobody wants their dreams dashed. I would, I would hate to read the IHateWordBalloon.com website and talk about every mis, you know, quote or step that I've taken in every interview. I get all that. But I also think, too, that it was like, you know, it's – they should do it with the writer's consent, I guess, I should I would say. And yeah. if you're not getting the writer's consent, then that's shitty. Yeah, they're that's, not getting the writer's consent to do these. Then that's shitty. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right. So – because I would say, you know, hey, would you mind if we did this? And yeah, we're – you know, whatever. I, I think there would be just as many people going, hey, awesome. Oh, yeah. I Don't mean, work. a lot of us ourselves, like – I mean, I used to write awful fan fiction – and <laughs> I did too. Everyone did. And it, it's perfectly normal. It's a part of growing up. And part of it is putting it online. And sometimes people give you constructive criticism, which does make you better. Or maybe they say like, oh, I really like that part in your story. And that makes you feel good. So a lot of it is about connecting to people. So I don't think it's, it's wrong to put it online at all, even if it's bad. Um, and I don't think it deserves to be made fun of. But a lot of us are perfectly more than willing to share our really shitty fan fiction too, if you just ask. <laughs> I understand. No, I'm I'm glad you said that. And again, that's the cool thing about the book. It's uh, really, I think it really does kind of uh, open up that world in a lot of ways to people and let them know. Again, you are you are not alone, and it's very refreshing to read, and you do feel better by yourself, and also can empathize with each individual story. Uh, the book is called "The Secret Loves of Geek Girls," and it's from Bedside Press. And uh, as available at Amazon and other online outlets, I'm sure. And also uh, coming soon to a few uh, stores and conventions near you. What other what other plans do you have to promote the book this year? Um, I'm going to Emerald City for a few days. I don't have a table, but some of my girls do. So the books will be available during the Emerald City Comic Con. Cool. And I'll be having a table at the Toronto Comic Arts Festival and the Vancouver Comic Arts Festival. Fantastic. Hope Nicholson, well done. Keep it up. <laughs> Honestly, I, I really I, I think you're putting out great content and I look forward to each project. And as always, if uh, if you I, I approached you for this because I'm like, oh, my God, I, well, let's talk about this. But and we didn't even talk about Canadian rye. Shame <laughs> on me. I meant to ask you about Canadian rye. Oh, yes, yes. Well, it, it's actually Winnipeg rye. It's a type of rye <laughs> that is um, I think it, it it came from Jewish immigrants back when they first moved to Winnipeg. And it tends to be a much softer rye. It's kind of a white rye, and it tastes kind of like Wonder Bread. It's very tasty, but you can't find it outside of Winnipeg for some reason. That's hilarious. I, now you, that you actually describe it more than the confines of Twitter, I'm, I, I do kind of know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's all right. It is, it is barely – it does taste like barely rye bread. Yeah, apparently to it's because um, they use rye flour but not rye meal, or maybe it's vice versa. I can't remember. There's a difference. I think I, that would make sense. Yeah, that would make sense. Hilarious. 
Yeah, she was. I was completely confused by that uh, comment on Twitter one night. So, oh, like, so it's so funny because when I lived in Toronto, I asked um, Fred Kennedy, who's a, a local kind of TV celebrity, I guess, but he used to live in Winnipeg. And when he was visiting Winnipeg, I asked him to bring back some Canadian rye for me or some Winnipeg rye for me. And he, he phones me from the LC in Winnipeg and says, okay, they say that there's no rye made in Winnipeg. <laughs> I said, rye bread, bread. <laughs> so. That's awesome. Oh, you see, all right, good. We did it. We did our five minutes at Canadian rye. What now? <laughs> no, seriously, thanks for coming on, Hope. And uh, you're always welcome back. And I uh, keep up the good fight. I appreciate what you do. Thanks. Hopefully, uh, yeah, can talk about more projects soon. There you go. Forgive the shorty today, but a nice conversation with Hope Nicholson. For me, a shorty. I know it's an hour. Uh, pretty much the average uh, length of, a, of, a, of most po- podcasts. I can't help it. I like uh, talking to a lot of people. Man, we got some fun people coming up in this month. Uh, actually, am I, I, and I'm not thinking about this might be the last episode for January. There might be one more. If not, man, I'm telling you, there are people pounding the door that I am talking to just days away that I can't wait to uh, share. And also, uh, January just came, it became kind of wonky for me because I got sick. Uh, there are still people that are also waiting in line to talk. Uh, it's going to be a great 2016 in terms of the uh, type of guests that we're having here on Word Balloon. Really happy that uh, people are still coming on, newbies as well, and uh, return guests. So I hope you enjoy uh, the selection of conversation that I try to bring you every week right here on Word Balloon. Today it's uh, brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Uh, tremendous deals happening. Uh, man, I'll tell you, there's a lot of uh, questions about what's going to happen when DC reboots again. I feel like Forrest Gump, uh, coming this summer. And uh, I know one of the groups that everyone is wondering about is the future of the, uh, the future and past, I should say, of the Titans. Um, the original Titans might be coming back. There's that Titans Hunt uh, miniseries that's currently going on. But reach back uh, for uh, what really brought all of us uh, back to the Titans in the 80s. Wolfman and Perez, Noon Teen Titans, Volume 4 is now available for 45% off. It's just $10.99. Another great uh, comic from the Silver Age. You can get, or I should, well, I don't know. Actually, I guess this might be Bronze Age. Uh, the Batman Trade Paperback Showcase, Volume 6, has a lot of great Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams work, including the Raza Ghoul Saga, the original Raza Ghoul Saga. 45% off, again, $10.99. You can get Star Wars, Lando, great uh, Charles Soule, Alex Maleev uh, miniseries. Uh, that is uh, 42% off, $9.85. And uh, that's just the beginning. How about A-Force Presents? Uh, this is a, uh, a trade paperback that uh, features, uh, man, I'll tell you, some uh, some great writers and artists, uh, people like uh, Sarah Pacelli and uh, Marvel's Most Amazing Heroes, Step in the Spotlight. And uh, it's uh, stories about Ms. Marvel, Captain Marvel, and uh, the female Thor. Uh, they collect uh, Black Widow, uh, uh, number one, Captain Marvel, 2014, number one, Ms. Marvel, 2014, number one, She-Hulk, number one, Thor, number one, and the unbeatable Squirrel Girl, number one. There's a nice potpourri for you, uh, 42% off, $8.69. All of this is waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. Check out all the deals now and head to their website, InStockTrades. Thanks a lot for listening to Word Balloon today. John Suntress saying we will talk in a couple days bring you more information and interviews from the geek culture. I hope you enjoyed today's talk. 
more coming up as we move in uh, from January into February. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2016.